I would like you to think for a moment and decide what your number one work-related challenge is. Now I want you to think about who is best suited to listen, support, and offer advice regarding that challenge. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 77 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined by internationally best-selling author, Nick Johnson. Nick talks about the role peer networks play in supporting like-minded professionals, how having conversations with people at your level can help you grow, and we also focus on the importance of personal resilience for those building professional resilience programs. In our industry, the Resilience Think Tank is a peer network that can help you rise above current challenges and grow to new heights. Learn more at resiliencethinktank.com. All right, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Now, you're not necessarily associated with the resilience industry, and I would guess that most of my listeners uh, won't know who you are. So let's start off with a good introduction of yourself, please. Yeah, sure, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on your show. So I was born in Sweden, studied and educated in Australia, and then I realized I was a bit far from home. So I thought, where is halfway? Well, Southeast Asia. So I've been in uh, (laughs) Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, and Singapore now since 2004. I've worked in various general management, basically senior leadership positions here. Uh, But six years ago, I left the corporate world, and I'm now running a business where we organize confidential peer groups for senior executives and business owners. So that's what I do on day-to-day basis. Outside of that, I'm very, very passionate about supporting also people with mental health related issues. I'm running three men's health group or men's groups here in Singapore for people to have a safe space also to discuss their challenges. So one of your accomplishments, you're the co-founder and managing director of one of Asia's premier networking organizations. It's called Executives Global Network. We'll refer to it here today as EGN. Can you describe what EGN is all about and what you're accomplishing there? Sure. So what we do at EGN is that we are matching peers at the right seniority level. Either you are a a, a managing director, for example, with a big company, then we match you with like-minded from other companies. But if you are an SME or a founder or running a small business, then we match you with like-minded. So the whole point here is that you should have conversations with people at your seniority level so that you find a group of people who can understand your challenges and who can support you with them. So it's really to to help you get out of the loneliness trap because what I found and what many are finding that when you are working, you are not really able to open up with the people around you because they either report to you or you report to them. So you tend to end up sitting at home with your challenges by yourself uh, or it, it ends up having a conversation with your family who don't understand it. And then it ends up also you're feeling even more lonely. Uh, so that is the whole point here. Now, one of the things I like about the podcast is a guest will come on like you've just done and and you'll say something that kind of triggers something I hadn't thought to ask. And this falls into that category. So part of the problem, it would seem to me, particularly for executives, is the the imaging and the branding that they're projecting. And so if they have uncertainty 
Is there a concern that their uncertainties might be seen as weakness and therefore undermine their leadership ability? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Mark. And I have studied this topic and I call it the smiling depression. And I think we live in this world today where everyone is putting on a show, may it be on LinkedIn or other social media where we put our awards, our wins, and we're trying to only show one side of the story. And that's what we what we do, uh, because we are all scared about losing a job, lo losing a client, and it's always you know about b being the very best. So that is instead in these peer groups we flip the coin there. So when someone is joining a peer group of ours, the, even the first meeting, you come in, you present what's the expertise I can add to the group, and that's the difference. They not about your awards and what you want, but what expertise do you have? What can you add to the group? And after you have said that, the next thing you present is my number one work-related challenge right now. And then we are mapping that. So it's always a conversation where we practice this muscle of vulnerability that you always are opening up about your challenges and then people will be there to help you solve them. So we need to actually do this in, in our whole life, you know, and this is what I do in the men's groups as well, where we always are talking about what are your challenges right now. So we practice to open up and get used to helping each other solve them. Then uh, it, it's a much better space to be in. You're leaving these meetings feeling that you actually got something out of them and it was not only a show. And so there's a certain vulnerability that, that people have to bring to the table. But for me, that demonstrates leadership. What kind of challenges are people most likely to talk about? Are they business-related challenges or are they more uh, emotional challenges or or mental health? Like what, what do people talk about? If we're looking at the EGN, then it tends to be more professional challenges. And since we all work with people, it's it's normally about, you know, organization shots, structures, issues, managing upwards, managing time, putting parameters on yourself. Uh, conflicts with a boss, you know, all these kind of issues where uh, people feel perhaps squeezed or squashed and they'd like to, you know, get some support or feedback around that. Uh, as for the groups outside of working hours where I'm volunteering and those I'm running, then it tend to be conflicts with the family, uh, parents or uh, partners, uh, and uh, and all especially now throughout the pandemic and coming out of that there's been a lot of these issues uh, then family related issues where perhaps couples who were used to travel and didn't used to spend so much time together suddenly were locked at, locked at home together and all the issues that came with that and we're still not over this many of the relationships were still hanging on to it because of the children, but they still haven't sold it. So many people also need a space to talk about this. And many times, perhaps what they need is just someone who, who are in the same boat, someone who can understand them, they need to vent. And again, talking about some of the challenges because what these might be issues that no one knows, they don't tell anyone about it. So it's just about starting to open up and getting that sympathy. Now, your group tripled in size during the pandemic. Do you think that the challenges that the pandemic presented actually helped draw people into a group like yours? Uh, I do believe that the pandemic helped us uh, by people understanding that they cannot suffer 
in isolation completely. We need to talk about it. And I'm sure you all heard that saying, it's okay to not be okay. That almost became a slogan. It went viral and it sort of became the norm of everyone checking in with each other. And I think that was a positive uh, experience for many people that even, you know, we had senior people coming out, actually opening up. Uh, then that perhaps has died off now because now everything is so fast uh, moving forward again. Uh, but we m must need to remember to keep checking in with each other and being vulnerable. Uh, so it was a good wave. Let's just keep this going. Well, that takes responsibility on both sides. So we need to check in with other people, but the folks who are checking in with us, we need to be able to be honest with them too and say, hey, yeah, no, today's not a good day. Absolutely. We might not be ready to check in every day. We had a conversation in one of my men's group yesterday, and it was um, one father who has a son who's 18 years old, and the, the son's uh, cat, uh, who's had all his life, has died. And he said, he, uh, he said, my son cannot show any feelings. I know he's suffering in isolation because this cat meant the world to him. Mm -hmm. uh, but he cannot, I cannot talk to him about it. He's just shut off and shut down. And that's so typical for us men. And it's very difficult when an incident like this happens. if you haven't been vulnerable first. When I spoke uh, to the father about this, uh, we had conversations about how, how can you change this? Well, I said, I have a son myself who is 14 and I try in every conversation I have with him, I start by sharing a little bit about my feelings, how I'm feeling, if it's up or down and, and using words around feelings so that he should hear it. And then I can throw back the question to my son and asking, how are you feeling? So mm -hmm. that he starts by practicing this. So it's not only happening when it's a big affair or it's a, a big event, something that has happened, because then people will just not be ready for it. So this leads us nicely into talking about mental health. And uh, you've had some personal experiences with mental health. How did they lead you into writing what is now an internationally best-selling book, uh, Executive Loneliness? How did, how did those mental health things that you dealt with lead you to that? Well, Mark, I was holding it all together, just like we spoke about. I perhaps elbowed my way for the top uh, to the top in my career. Uh, I cared about the bonuses, the awards, the achievements, and I was only looking upwards. I stepped perhaps on the toes of my colleagues and so on. And once I reached the top, I realized that it was lonely there. It was lonely. I felt isolated and I was not happy uh, to the point where you know, eventually I resigned from my big corporate job and I didn't know at that stage what I wanted to do in my life. I had achieved what I thought it was, but it was not it. And with that, I started also to push away other things in my life. I filed for a divorce. I decided to move country. And the more changes I made, the more lonely I became because I didn't have any purpose in my life. And then I, from 2015 to 2018, I changed my exercise habits and instead went uh, to, to consume too much alcohol. And with that, I became even more lonely, even more isolated until in 2018 when I hit rock bottom. And uh, I, I would say that that's the gift in my life, uh, getting that uh, the gift of desperation. And from there, I managed to come back into the, up in, in life and I live very different life today. And then in 2019, there was an affair that changed everything. A colleague and friend of mine, a senior executive, died of suicide. And uh, yeah. I, was, I was 
shocked. I was taken aback and I decided to take action. So that's when I decided to share what happened in my life. And at this stage, I was already one year into recovery and I was feeling good and great again, but I had not told anyone about it. It was in a small, safe circle. I decided uh, first to speak up and I, that's where I lived and breathed, but I had not told my parents. I had not told anyone outside this safe space that I had uh, in my recovery group, what was going on in my life. But then in 2019, I went viral on LinkedIn uh, with a video. And from there on, uh, it, it, I, it all started and I was on live radio the next day. And they asked me similar questions like you today, Mark. And after that, I was an open book. Hmm. You used the phrase in your answer there, you talked about rock bottom. And so for the podcast listeners, I want you to bookmark this. I want you to think about this and remember the phrase rock bottom and the question, Nick, that I'm going to ask you next, because I have an upcoming guest in the next week or two who also had a rock bottom moment. And I think his is going to look a lot different than yours. And I'm asking this question intentionally. So what did your rock bottom look like for you? Well, at that stage, Mark, I had become a daily drinker and uh, I medicated myself with alcohol to numb my feelings. Uh, that was how I functioned. I needed to go uh, in the morning for a walk and, and buy some alcohol, typically some beers to get going. Uh, alcohol was no longer at this stage a party for me. It was just to make me dozy, to not feel anything so I could function. So I would do anything I needed to do, I had to drink. And that is a scary moment because I couldn't also stop. I realized that if I stopped, I got the shakes. I got, you know, my nerve system was breaking down. I tried with uh, uh, Valium and these kind of, of medication. It worked for a while, but I, uh, in, it, 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 I couldn't function. So that was a very scary place for me to realize that you cannot stop earlier. I was managing, you know, to take some days of alcohol or take weeks of some time, but here it was impossible. So that was when I had to go and see a doctor and I had to be hospitalized uh, to basically be detoxed before I came out of that. And at that stage, I was not suicidal. I did not have suicidal thoughts, but I was sure I was going to die. So I did everything what someone who has suicidal thoughts uh, was doing. I cleaned up everything, including very carefully getting uh, documents with, you know, my bank accounts. I was getting a life insurance, medical insurance. Uh, I was sending this to my ex-wife, to my son, to my parents and uh, people close to me, just like cleaning up my act because I was sure I was going to die because I couldn't think of getting myself out of this so that at least when I'm gone, they wouldn't have such a mess. So that was my rock bottom. Thank you for, for sharing that and for, for being so transparent and, and willing to discuss that. Because I think it's important for people to hear accomplished and respected leaders talk openly about that. So thank you for that. Now, you've, in addition to writing the book, you've also done a lot of work to focus on bringing the conversation of mental health in the workplace to the forefront. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, uh, what I did then, Mark, after I had uh, broken out of rock bottom and I came back and was in, in full recovery, I realized that, you know, the gift 
I got into recovery was something that, you know, I wanted to share with other people because there's so many people who are suffering in isolation. And I realized that they shouldn't have to go as far as I did. We can actually start talking about this uh, before it's too late and before it goes as far as in my friend's place, uh, who sadly died of suicide or in my case with rock bottom. So these days, my purpose is to drive these conversations in the workplace. And what we do that then is through uh, the peer groups that I have, where you have a safe space outside your workplace, where you are practicing this, you're practicing vulnerability, you discuss it before it becomes too late, you have solutions that you have sympathy from others. And that is a very important part of it. But we are also telling the leaders that you got to lead by example and being human inside the organization, because what we have found is that vulnerability has to start from the top. You cannot expect to get managers coming into the CEO uh, and sharing uh, what's going on in their life unless the CEO opens up. And that was also the purpose of my bookmark, where I surveyed and interviewed senior executives and CEOs uh, asking about vulnerability and isolation. So the podcast here is obviously all about resilience. It's called The Resilient Journey. And I firmly believe that personal resilience is fundamental to someone being able to build a resilient organization. I think you need to be resilient yourself if you're going to have resilient attitudes uh, in your organization. Can you discuss the importance of personal resilience and the strategies that you recommend for doing things like reducing stress and building resilience? and bouncing back from failure and rejection, because we all have to deal with that. Well, Mark, I think it, personally, and what has really worked for me, and I, I, I write about this in my book, I call uh, exercise the real happy pill. And that was what managed to get me over alcohol was exercise and relax and sleep uh, and managing this and be very disciplined about it. I needed to get a life coach, a fitness coach who could help me to shape that back. and. Uh, I had to be on medication when I tapered off the alcohol for a few months. But after that, and now four and a half years later, uh, I rely on exercise and sleep and natural things in order to cope personally. But in the workplace, when it comes to resilience, uh, it is about, I believe, having the ability in the organization to have the culture of failing fast. So again, not making the highs and the lows too big. It shouldn't go as far as a client terminating a contract and it's coming back to the team, uh, or it shouldn't be as high that we are winning awards. We need to be more in the middle. And what I've done now, for example, even in my organization, Mark, I have 47 uh, employees now. We have a fail fast policy, for example, where we are constantly uh, talking about failures and what we learn from them. We have even allocated the budgets in the company that 10% is seen as an exploration budget. So the teams know that if they make a mistake, they will nominate that this was something, it's an experiment and let me share what I learned from this. And then we move forward from there. And of course, the fact that they all know my story, I've been completely open with it. Anyone who, who wants to have a job interview, I send a copy of my book. And there is about my rock bottom and, and so on. So they feel safe. I even had Mark in a job interview, one gentleman who actually said that he had uh, had two suicide attempts before in his life, 
He's mm. told me that in the job interview. I hired him. So you can imagine how open re our relationship, if that is where we started the job interview, then we can have a good workplace together. I, I think part of um, the secret here, and don't just agree with me. I mean, tell me what you, you, you honestly think about what I'm going to say. But I think to a certain degree, we have to give ourselves a certain amount of grace, a certain amount of latitude. Uh, am, am I off base here? Or is that a, a, a good philosophy to uh, to sort of embrace as you're going through difficult times? No, you got that right, Mark. And uh, when I was coming in early in recovery, everyone said to take it easy, don't be too hard on yourself. And it was at that stage, I came back daily to a recovery group for one hour. And I went for it a slow walk there and a slow walk back. And that was all I needed. I needed to just get that routine and just get going a day at a time. Just being around people who I could feel safe with and listen to. And that was all you did. Everyone said that in early recovery, and with that they mean, for example, the, the first year or so, don't make any changes. Don't uh, move to a new place. Try to not change your job unless you really have to. So I mm -hmm. think this should apply in life as well. If we feel a bit down, then let that day and that moment be. Don't push yourself to do something too big or just just get along with the day. But what I found, Mark, myself, is that the best if you have a bad day is just go to bed early. And normally you wake up uh, fresh and you have a different perspective. Yeah, and let's get this day or over with as uh, quickly as possible and, and uh, hope for a better one tomorrow. Y you mentioned, of course, EGN is a peer network. And you've talked, you've referenced a number of other peer networks as you went through your own recovery and things like that. Talk about the role that peer networks play in supporting professionals. And what are some good tips for harnessing the power of networks like that? Yeah, Mark, I think they play a big role for entrepreneurs and CEOs. That's where they started. Right? And because as entrepreneurs, it can also be very lonely. And you're putting your life into something and it's easy that you see everything from your side. So to get some other perspectives who's not perhaps the investors is essential for you to also see different perspective. But again, to stop you from falling into that loneliness trap, to falling down that downward spiral because uh, we are our worst enemy ourselves, the voice that talking to us the whole time. And perhaps, especially if we're entrepreneurs, we're so driven, we want to create so much. But if that voice turns negative, the negative self talks out, uh, then it can be very dangerous. So we need to break that pattern. And that's again, what you do in, in, in these peer groups, we are in a confidential space with people who can understand you and getting that sympathy is essential, where you focus on presenting, here is my problem, this is what I'm going through. And then to get, you know, first the sympathy, but also other ideas, people are questioning you, challenging you, trying to help you support you. And not only in that meeting, uh, but what is happening afterwards when you go for a coffee break or someone will say, let's catch up for a lunch tomorrow. I heard what you said and I have some ideas. Someone else will say, I know someone who went through that a few years ago. Let me link you up. You know, so suddenly a problem shared is a problem halved. But in the, in the, in the form of the peer group, because we match you with equal 
uh, equal basically seniority level or people therefore you know they will be able to go beyond that and that is what we see and I, I normally receive because we have about 800 members here now in Southeast Asia network I hear these success stories every day almost mark people who say oh my god I'm so glad that I shared my issue and challenge and guess what it's sold now and it's much better than I thought it could be so it's again always practicing this vulnerability that is what I would say the 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 business network and these peer networks do for the SMEs, but of course, equally for the senior executives, the senior executives tend to be different challenges. It's typically organization charts, uh, working through different regions. Many of the companies and our members here are working for American companies. So they are CEOs or regional directors for, sitting in Singapore, running the whole region, you know, 20, 25 countries, all with unique challenges. And they're getting the sympathy by other a senior executives with similar responsibility is essential. So again, it's that feeling, Mark, and the sympathy that is so important for us human beings. I would think that verbalizing it has got to be probably the hardest thing, but also one of the biggest leaps forward. Once you get that off your chest and you verbalize it, that's that's got to be quite helpful, I would think. Absolutely. And if you compare it with... If you go and see a coach or a mentor or a psychologist, that is also important, but perhaps then it's only one person to speak to. And these people will not have the similar PL responsibility. So they might not be able to understand you. They can give you the sympathy and listen, but you might leave frustrated that they didn't have any answers. But if you're in a group with 15, 20, people with similar responsibility, not only can you get the sympathy and listen, but they will also have some street smart advice, which is perhaps exactly what you need just to be able to move forward as well. I want to talk about our own responsibilities in this. And you're a world-class athlete. And as such, you've got to have a great deal of self-discipline. So I want to ask you how much you believe that self-leadership and self-discipline and goal-setting contribute to achieving this optimal wellness and mental health? For me, it's essential, uh, the discipline there around things. And that's what I lost the discipline uh, a couple of years ago when I was, uh, right. you know, losing my fitness and the mental health and the physical health is so linked. It started with myself losing the physical health and losing the discipline with that, then eventually also the mental health. So these days, yes, Mark, I, I'm disciplined. I realize that I need my uh, happy pill, and that is exercise. Uh, I try to these days uh, mix it up, uh, long walks, but also swimming, which is easy on the body. Uh, so, But I also cycle and run. So with that, I do triathlons. And even today now, when we are speaking here, local time in Singapore is 4.30 a.m. So after this, I will go out for a run and have a healthy breakfast before the working day. So I'm an early riser. I get up early, discipline myself to do some exercise every morning. Yeah, and for the record, you're the one who scheduled this time. I looked at the clock and I was like, he scheduled this for four o'clock in the morning, his time. Um, Nick, your book is Executive Loneliness. Um, so just talk about where people could find that and the best ways for people to connect with you, please. 
Yes, so the book Executive Loneliness can be found on Amazon. It was a bestseller in men's health and mental health and 12-step recovery programs. Uh, it can also be found on Audible if you prefer to listen to the audiobook when you perhaps go for a morning walk. Uh, if you want to look me up, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and it's Nick Johnson. And it's uh, the Swedish Johnson of J-O-N-S-S-O-N, right? That's right, Mark. All right, Nick, thanks for being here. Great insights. Appreciate all the work that you're doing. And thank you for being vulnerable with us and, and sharing us uh, some good information. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been great being on the show. I want to thank Nick Johnson for being my guest today. And I would encourage you to check out his book, Executive Loneliness, anywhere that you buy books. As a reminder, the Resilience Think Tank is a peer network that can help resilience professionals grow to new levels. Learn more about what we offer at resiliencethinktank.com. Looking ahead, we have some amazing guests lined up, including another author, TV analyst, and even a Miss Universe contestant. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey. <laughs>